0: Our first scripture reading is from Psalm 119, verses 25 to 32. Psalm 119, verses 25 to 32. And as we uh, hear this read, this section, uh, keep in mind that we will be looking in the sermon this afternoon at uh, sanctification, the matter of uh, sanctification, and uh, see how that comes out in these verses. Verse 25, my soul cleaves to the dust, revive me according to thy word. I have told of my ways, and thou hast answered me. Teach me thy statutes, make me understand the way of thy precepts. So I will meditate on thy wonders My soul weeps because of grief Strengthen me according to thy word Remove the false way from me And graciously grant me thy law I have chosen the faithful way I have placed thine ordinances before me I cleave to thy testimonies O Lord, do not put me to shame I shall run the way of thy commandments, for thou wilt enlarge my heart. Would you also turn, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I'll read from verses 16b through to chapter 7, verse 1. The text for the sermon is chapter 7, verse 1. And after that, I'll read from the Westminster Confession. 2 Corinthians Chapter six, starting at sixteen B. And uh, here in these, uh, in this verse sixteen, the second half, we'll start from the point where uh, the quote from the Old Testament begins. I will dwell in them. This is what God had said to his people. I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now a text Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Then, uh, also from the Westminster Confession, chapter 13, the chapter on sanctification, and this time we will be looking at the second and third articles in that 13th chapter. And uh, if you have a copy of the Westminster, perhaps uh, in the bulletin, if you have a copy of the bulletin already, then you can read along with that. Westminster Confession of Faith, 13, 2 and 3. Number 2, this sanctification is throughout in the whole man, yet imperfect in this life there abiding still some remnants of corruption in every part, whence ariseth a continual and irreconcilable war, the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, in which war, although the remaining corruption for a time may much prevail, yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, The regenerate part doth overcome, and so the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Recognise some of those words from the text, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would forgive us for the times that we do not engage with your word or the exposition of it with much enthusiasm or with the whole heart. Lord, will you increase our delight in your word and enable us to hear it proclaimed with delight in what you are saying to us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Covenant people of God, to shuffle is to walk by dragging your feet without lifting them properly off the ground. I want to suggest this afternoon that this is a rather apt description of our sanctification, the progress in our walk with the Lord and our walk in his ways. We do not experience sanctification as a continual move forward in leaps and bounds Or as an easy glide through life, we shuffle along, making slow progress, unable to lift our feet in joy and strength, the joy and strength of salvation in the way that we should, rather shuffling along, lifting our feet in weakness and with struggle. Chapter 13 of the Westminster Confession, Articles 2 and 3, speak of that struggle, that continual and irreconcilable war. And our text also implies that war and certainly deals with the subject of sanctification. Three points as we look at this. First of all, the need for ongoing sanctification. Secondly, the nature of ongoing sanctification. And thirdly, the motivation for ongoing sanctification. The need, the nature, and the motivation of ongoing sanctification. In the first place, it might seem in some ways as if the Christian actually does not need any ongoing sanctification. After all, consider everything that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross in our place for us with the result that all our sins, past, present and future, they're all forgiven, all the guilt of them and all the condemnation that comes from that, all gone. In addition to that, we have the, the life of perfect obedience and the doing of perfect good works, On the part of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout his life, we have all of that counted as ours. His sanctified life counted as our sanctification, what's sometimes called definitive sanctification. We have also the intercessory work of the Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of his Father, daily applying the benefits of all that work of the Lord Jesus to us. We have the power of Satan and sin broken by the Lord Jesus. So we are no longer forced or bound to sin at any point. We are free to be obedient. We have the resurrection, life, and power of the Lord Jesus Christ made available to us every minute of every day, meaning that we have the strength to resist sins. We have the promise of God. That he will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able, but will provide a way of escape with the temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. And we have the benefit of God's word and his spirit in our lives, imparting grace to us for the practice of holiness with a sanctification that is described accurately in the Westminster in the second article here as a sanctification that is throughout, a thorough sanctification in the whole man. So why is it then that we need to worry about further or ongoing sanctification? Well, the first part of the answer to that is simply because the Lord commands it. There are many places in the Bible where he commands it. Romans 13 verses 12 to 14 Galatians 5, verses 22 to 25. Colossians 3, verses 5 to 10, to mention a few. But also here in our text. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. Perfecting holiness, that's also sanctification language. Cleanse ourselves, that's sanctification language. Perfecting holiness... In the fear of the Lord, that's sanctification language too. Of course, this language does not mean that we will ever in this life be able to cleanse ourselves from all our sin in practice or to become uh, perfect in holiness in the usual sense in which we use the word perfect. But that is not what is meant here in this language, in this text. Uh, the uh, language that's used in the original language is very careful and very precise than this. Uh, let us cleanse. That exhortation, there in this case, is an exhortation actually to purify ourselves from contamination in each and every time that we are faced with sin within ourselves, as opposed to allowing anything to remain that would defile the body or the soul. Sins of thought, or word, or deed, or of feeling and desire. Sins of omission, leaving out the things that we should do, and commission, doing things that we ought not. With the result that gradually, and that also is implied by the language, gradually and continually our holiness is perfected, not in the sense that we become perfect in practice, Morally and completely perfect in practice, but meaning in this case that there is a continual process, a gradual process, which is gradually and progressively brought brought to completion. That's the uh, idea of this word perfect here, bringing something to completion, bringing it to reach its goal, the goal of sanctification, Clearly this implies that the goal of our sanctification has not yet been fully realised in this life. We are not completely clean. We are not completely holy. We are not completely sanctified in our practice. We do still have contamination, defilement of the flesh and spirit, because if we did not have those problems, then this exhortation would not be necessary. This is why self-examination is so important. That we come to realise more and more why exhortations of this kind are necessary because of that remaining corruption. So that we come to to realise more and more the nature of the sin that remains. And realising it, we come to admit it. And admitting it to ourselves, we come to confess it before God. Because if there is no confession of those things... If there is no repentance, then the progress of our sanctification is halted at least in that area where we're holding out and not admitting our sins and not repenting of them and not confessing them. In Article 2 of this chapter, the Westminster puts it this way. Sanctification is imperfect in this life. There are abiding still some remnants of corruption in every part. Every part. Body, soul, mind, emotions, will, however you want to divide up the human nature. This is part of what we call total depravity. It's part of the reason why it's called total, because sin affects us and that corruption contaminates us in every aspect of who we are, totally. Just so we understand how the pieces fit together from what we've seen so far. There is sin and corruption in every part of us. However, it no longer binds us. Uh, It no longer controls us as slaves. The only control it has over us is in so far as we choose to go along with it. But the bondage of it has been broken, broken by the Lord Jesus. Uh, Further, all of that sin, the debt that it creates, has been paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, we cannot be condemned because of our sins anymore. But nevertheless, and this is the other thing we need to hold along with those truths, We are still called to fight against sin and to pursue cleansing, uh, sanctification, holiness, however you want to say it. Not only because sin still remains in us, but because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ for us, because his work and the work of his word and spirit in us, because of that, we can now resist sin As each instance of it comes to us, we can fight it. But because of the remnant of corruption in every part, we will never be rid of it in this life. And the nature of the work of the Lord Jesus and the nature of the work of word and spirit require that that sin be resisted because our God is a holy God. And therefore, we must fight it. Fight it because of the work of the Lord Jesus for us and his word and spirit in us. Fight it because there's still sin remaining in us. And so we fight. Because there is this ability to resist sin that we have been given, but there is a remnant of sin that still remains in us. Since the fight is on, it is important to ask in the second place, what is the nature of this ongoing sanctification? What does it mean to perfect holiness? To bring it to its completion, to its goal? There is, as the Westminster 13, Article 2 reminds us, an irreconcilable war between flesh versus spirit, spirit versus flesh. In other words, between the Holy Spirit And that part of our spirit that he affects and renews, there is a conflict between that and the part of us, the part of us that is in every part of us, that is opposed to God and allied with Satan and with the world. So how do we wage this war? As we look at the nature of ongoing sanctification, part of that work of ongoing sanctification Involves the waging of this war. And so how do we do that? Well, the first thing is to recognize that there is a war. If you don't realize that you're in a war, then you don't fight. And I suspect that when we face temptation, we tend very often not to think about it in those terms. We tend to think of it as some kind of attraction to think or to say or to do something that we know deep down we shouldn't be doing, but part of us wants to. Instead of seeing it as a war in which we are fighting against a merciless enemy, how you view it, how you view temptation, as some kind of attractiveness of a guilty pleasure, or as a deadly war, how you view it makes all the difference. Second thing in thinking about this war is to realise, and this is part of understanding what is involved in uh, ongoing sanctification, in the nature of it. Secondly, it is an irreconcilable war. There can be no truces, no compromises. But very often what we like to do with sin is to work out some kind of compromise. As if we say to ourselves, well... I know I shouldn't be sinning, but I will at least try to reduce the level of my sinning. Or perhaps we'll do a deal this way. I'll agree that I will seek to eradicate this sin, but I won't worry so much about that one. Compromises. The text allows no compromise. Let let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement. That is... Total war language, as I've mentioned on other occasions. And the sooner we realise that, the totality of this war, the more we will make progress, Lord willing, make progress in our sanctification. Third thing about this war, it involves killing, as wars generally do. We call it the mortification of sin. Mortification means putting it to death. And it is is parallel to, that mortification is parallel to, and it is based on the Lord Jesus' death because of our sin. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and greed. Colossians 3, 4 and 5. And 1 Peter 2, verse 24 has a similar thought. That means that we have to tackle particular sins, ask for the Lord's help, and then try not only to avoid those situations where we might be tempted, but to avoid those, uh, or act to avoid those sins when we start to give in to temptation. Fourth, it is not only to be understood in terms of a war where we fight against something, but positively, sanctification, the nature of sanctification, is a matter of actively pursuing holiness. So we're trying to kill off sin, as much as that lies in us in this life, at least to make a small start in it, killing off sin, while at the same time actively running after holiness not just aiming for some kind of neutral position, like certain nations in various wars, think of Switzerland, uh, certain nations have tried to remain neutral. But that's not an option in this case, that we can find some standing ground, some neutral place, somewhere between good and evil. No, the active pursuit of holiness is required. And that, it, that also in turn requires doing the things that encourage holy or godly desires, holy or godly thoughts, holy feelings, holy words, and holy actions. And I'm pretty sure that most of us would know what things encourage that and what things don't. The study of scripture, but not just reading it, also meditating on it, meditating on God's law, and meditating on God's gospel, Prayer, self-examination, which I mentioned before. Fixing our eyes upon the Lord Jesus, most important for sanctification. Sitting under the ministry of the word and the other aspects of church life also, that communion of the saints, that fellowship of Christians, where we encourage one another in sanctification. Those are the weapons Those are the armour, those are the exercises that enable us to run after sanctification more effectively. As Ephesians 6 verse 10 forward outlines, at least on some of those points. It is true, as Article 3 here in the Westminster chapter points out, that corruption may seem to prevail for a time. I mentioned before that we are not under bondage to Satan and sin nevertheless in so far as we choose to go in that direction we are for a time we appear to be dominated by certain sins so that is something that does happen and can happen and frequently happens in the life of the Christian such that your your sanctification may seem to you to resemble a moonwalk a moonwalk more than a shuffle perhaps, a, a, dance where, a dance move, the moonwalk, where you seem to be moving forward, but you're actually moving backward. And sometimes the Christian life feels like that. You, people, people look at you and they all think you're moving ahead in your sanctification and you like to encourage that idea, but you look at your own life and you say, I think I'm actually going backwards. I'm actually further from it than I was when I started the Christian life. In reality, the Christian life is almost the opposite of that. That even though we may appear to be moving backward, if you you are one of God's children, you may feel that you are moving backwards. And you may appear to be moving backwards in many ways. But if you are a Christian, the reality is you are actually moving forward. And the reason for that is, again, because of the the work of the Lord Jesus Christ And the work of his word and spirit, which require moving forward. And they create a moving forward. So there is progress towards the goal, towards the completion of holiness, because that is the agenda that God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit have for us. And that's the reason why we're given a constant supply of strength, From the sanctifying spirit of Christ, article 3 in the Westminster here, so that we may avail ourselves of that and though there may be many areas where we don't move forward very quickly or where for a time we move backwards, yet overall we move forwards. In this area and that, we fail to use God's help and there is a temporary and a localized stagnation in that certain area or certain areas, but overall progress. However, as as Christians, as God's people, the Christian is not satisfied with areas of retardation in our lives. We want to progress, not just overall, we want to progress in every area. And we want to do that for the glory of God, because we know that that is what he desires for us as well. In the third and final place, the Apostle tells us the motivation for ongoing sanctification. The most basic motivation is the fear of God, which is mentioned at the end of this verse awe and reverence towards the all-powerful, holy God who hates sin, but whose grace and whose mercy are just as awesome and bring about just as much fear of God as his warnings do. Fear of God causes us to say, when it comes down to a choice between war against sin and war against God, I know whose side I am on and therefore I will fight with his help. There can be no sanctification and no salvation without that fundamental thing, the fear of the Lord. But the Apostle gives us a second factor here. Let us cleanse ourselves having these promises. And in a way, that part of the sentence is so unexpected. We might, uh, if somebody asked you a question, uh, "Why do we cleanse ourselves?" We might say, "Well, because God has told us that we need to be clean. Uh, he's given us commandments, and uh, the commandments are the motivation to us to uh, to uh, seek sanctification, sanctifying grace, and to work with God's help and to cooperate with His Spirit in the process of sanctification." It comes down to the law. That might be what we expect. But what we find here, though that's also true that God's commandments have that effect, what we find in this verse is that the promise is given as the main motivation. And here in this case, the therefore goes back, the therefore at the beginning of this verse goes back to the promises found in chapter 6, verses 16 to 18 where we read the promise that God dwells in his people as in a temple and he walks among us as our God and we as his people and he welcomes us as a father to us. Those are promises that he has given his people. But such wonderful and gracious assurances create in us gratitude. And gratitude has to be one of the major motives for struggling against the the things that the Lord hates and pursuing the holiness that he loves and that reflects his character. So when we realise that God dwells in us as in a temple, a holy God dwelling in a holy place, that motivates us to strive for holiness. And when we realise that God walks among us as our God and we his people and we think upon what a a great God he is and what a holy God he is and what a merciful God he is, again, with him walking in our midst, we want to be holy. And when we think of him as a father and we as his children, we want to be like our father because he loves us and we love him. These are motivations that come from the promises of God. But note that these covenant promises of God, of his presence, of his welcome, of his fatherly attitude towards us, they do have an effect on the believer for holiness. We, in the passage before in chapter 6, the end of chapter 6, we read that we come out from the wicked, we separate from them, and we avoid that which is unclean. And these promises are not saying that if we resist sin and we keep away from sin and we keep away from the wicked and we separate from them, then the Lord will be our God because of what we have done. No, it's really the, it's really the opposite of that. It says here that if we are his people, we will therefore seek to avoid these things, to avoid evil as a consequence of being his. We don't earn that relationship with him by avoiding evil. We avoid evil because he has, by grace, made us his own. And that's why this therefore appears in the previous verses in chapter 6. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate. This still leaves us with a very clear and strong connection between gospel and law. We have been saved We have been cleansed already in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, let us cleanse ourselves with his help as a consequence, as a response of gratitude in the fear of the Lord. That is why it is important as we fight against sin and pursue holiness, that we immerse ourselves in God's word. That we um, immerse ourselves not only in his law, his commandments, but also in promises of this kind. And that is why it is so important that in this battle, we fix our eyes upon the Lord Jesus. So that by doing that, we become immersed in the reasons for gratitude. And we see how the Lord wants us to express that gratitude according to his commandments. But not only that, also by trusting his promises, trust and obey. And there are really no shortcuts in this. There are no shortcuts For an easy victory in the skirmishes that follow Christ's absolute victory against Satan on the cross. No, if you believe in sanctification and you desire ongoing sanctification, you desire it to be an ongoing feature in your life, then there are things that need to be done. There is work that needs to be done. Looking to the Lord Jesus seeking out his word and the ministry of it, prayer, because you and I, we so badly need help from God. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, even from what we see in ourselves, we know that our progress in sanctification is painfully slow. But how much more you see Father will you pity us helpless as we are in our struggle Lord help us to see it as a war help us to see it as an irreconcilable war help us to recognise our own weakness so that we seek your strength all the more so that we seek your help daily and then following up from that that we avail ourselves from the help that you so freely offer and put that help to work in resisting the sins that surround us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 51 is a prayer for renewal, for a steadfast and willing heart, that we may offer a righteous thank-offering of a sanctified life to God. Number 95 in the Salt Hymnal, and after that we'll hear God's blessing and sing a doxology. Number 95. Receive by faith God's blessing, and after that we can sing our doxology. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. And then as our doxology, we sing number 135 stanza four. 135 stanza four.